Well, good morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we've been kind of camped out for a few weeks in verses 7 through 11, and that's where we'll be one, time, one more time today, and uh, then we'll start moving more quickly uh, through the rest of uh, the chapters we're covering in 1 Corinthians after that. But we'll be in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 12 this morning. And we're going to be reading uh, starting in verse 7. Let me just say, as you uh, turn there, uh, just a tremendous theme of God's mercy there in those songs. Um, Levi kind of pointed that out. Our God is a merciful God. Uh, in sending Christ, he was infinitely merciful. He's a merciful, merciful, merciful God. And do you know that he is glorified in showing mercy to those who cry out to him for mercy? It brings him glory to show mercy to those who cry out to him. So I don't know where you are this morning but whatever it is you might be suffering with, can I encourage you just to cry out to God in and through Christ for mercy and trust that he will give that to you. He is a merciful God. Lord, have mercy on me. So may you be enabled just to cry out this morning wherever you are. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 7. Let's read, or let's, I'm sorry, let's pray and then we'll read. Well, Father, we turn to you now in your scriptures. We just thank you for your word. We trust, Father, you have breathed these out for us in and through your Holy Spirit. They are for our good. Father, we would just acknowledge that in and of ourselves, our understanding is just darkened. We cannot understand, comprehend your scriptures. But we trust, Father, that with the blessing of your Spirit, enlightening our hearts, we can find truth and be helped in and through your word. So we would just ask for your grace today upon your scriptures in the name of Jesus. Amen. Starting in verse 7, his apostle Paul, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. May the Lord bless that uh, part of his text as we look at it here this morning. I am preaching a little mini-series here on uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, uh, looking specifically at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When, when you become a Christian, uh, you turn to Christ in faith, and you're now trusting Christ in faith. Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit now lives within you, which is a really cool thing, and the Holy Spirit within you now begins to empower you, begins to work differently 
different spiritual gifts in you. And all these spiritual gifts, as we just read, all these spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, they are for the common good of the body of Christ. They, 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 they're for the upbuilding or the edification of the body of Christ. They're spiritual gifts that help us to live as followers of Christ, uh, spiritual gifts that help us to go together and make disciples of Christ. And in this section of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he lists here nine possible spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit might work in you. It's not an exhaustive list, as I've said before. There are other spiritual gifts mentioned elsewhere in the Bible that are not mentioned here. And listen, not every believer will have all of the nine gifts that are mentioned here. Paul makes that clear by saying here, he says, to one believer or or to one is given this gift, to another is given this gift, and, and so on. So we won't all have all the nine gifts here, but possible gifts the Spirit might work in us. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at these nine gifts here individually, kind of describing them, just trying to flesh them out a little bit. Two weeks ago, we looked at the gifts of faith and healings and miracles. And then last Sunday, we looked at the utterances of wisdom and knowledge. And then also we looked at prophecy. And today now we're looking at the final three groups or the final three gifts Paul mentions here, uh, which are discernment, uh, tongues, and interpretation. And the first gift we'll kind of focus in on here for a few minutes today is what many would call discernment or what Paul calls the distinguishing of spirits. If you look again at the middle of verse 10, Paul says to another, to another believer is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. And I have to move with a little bit of caution here because as it happened with a couple of the gifts last week, that right there is the only place in the entire New Testament where that gift is mentioned. So we have to be a little bit cautious here. Tough to know for sure what this gift is, uh, but we can maybe make a guess. The, the Greek word translated as distinguish is the word diachrisis. Here's a definition uh, of diachrisis. It is If you go ahead and put that on the screen, diachrisis is the ability to distinguish and evaluate the distinguishing or differentiation of good and evil. So you're discerning, differentiating between good and evil, and Paul uses the word spirits here, ability to distinguish between spirits. But both of the Greek words there are plural It's not really captured in a lot of the translations. So more literally, Paul says here that to certain believers are given distinguishings of spirits. And again, it's tough to know exactly what Paul is talking about there. Some think he might be talking about prophecy, which he just mentioned. That's possible. Uh, But I think Paul is probably referring there to a Holy Spirit ability to discern when there's some type of spiritual influence in a person or situation, and you can distinguish whether it's a good or evil influence, whether it's the Holy Spirit or, say, maybe a demonic spirit. Wayne Grudem defines it like this. He says, distinguishing between spirits is a special ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or of demonic spirits in a person, or I would say in 
a situation maybe. You just have an internal discernment of something spiritual going on, and you can distinguish is that Holy Spirit or demonic spirit. You know, you just stop and think about demonic spirits for a second. There's an incredible tendency in some Christians especially maybe in America where we have, you know, our, our first world kind of overly rational brains, uh, it seems that many Christians have this tendency to think that every demon just disappeared in the first century. You know, Jesus and the disciples, man, they had to uh, deal with a lot of dem- demons, and that was a, a bummer for them back then. All kinds of demons back then, people oppressed by demons back then, uh, the sicknesses caused by demons, they had to cast demons out all the time, but uh, thank God those demons disappeared. And those demons did not disappear in the first century. Demons are still around and they are still active today. Now, thankfully, on the cross, Jesus triumphed over all of the powers of darkness. So as a Christian, we don't have to fear demonic spirits, but they do still exist and they can still torment people at times. They can oppress, they can afflict, they can still cause sickness at times. Why not? They did back then. Why, why not today? And on some occasions, you know, you think about demonic activity. On some occasions, demonic activity in a person's life is just obvious. It's, and it's clearly demonic. You, you see it and you can just tell something is not right. It's violent. It's destructive. It's dark. Clearly not the Holy Spirit. But the Bible does indicate that on some occasions, demons can also kind of mimic. They can operate in ways that look at times like the Holy Spirit. And you can think maybe, uh, or excuse me, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan can do things that look at times kind of like it's the Holy Spirit. And you can think back maybe to Moses in the Old Testament working miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt and the Egyptian sorcerers there could mimic several of those miracles. It was a demonic power, not the Holy Spirit, but it was still a power that did some things similar to what God was doing. Or Jesus in Matthew 7, Jesus says that some false disciples, so some people who say Jesus is their master, but Jesus is really not their master, well, many of those false disciples, Jesus said, would be able to do mighty works in his name. So there's some sort of power with, with many false disciples looking like Holy Spirit power, but it's not. It's most likely a demonic power. And you know, when we think about this and the spiritual activity in our world and the Holy Spirit and demonic spirits, it is important that all Christians to some degree learn how to distinguish between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of a demonic spirit. Everything that you see that looks powerful in this world is not necessarily coming from the one true God. 1 John 4, 1 says this to all believers, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So 
every Christian must learn to be sober-minded and careful with things that look spiritual. We must learn how to test the spirits in this world. Is that really the Holy Spirit or is that a demonic spirit active in this person's life? But you know, with this right here, when Paul mentions this spiritual gift, these distinguishings of spirits, Paul's, ta- Paul's talking there about something more than just ordinary Christian discernment. This is supposedly, or with this gift, it, it, it's something more. You, you, you have this kind of extra Holy Spirit intuition. You have an internal sense about the things around you, discerning spiritual things at times when other Christians might not be, and you're able to discern at times, well, that's a Holy Spirit, or that's potentially demonic. Sam Storms says this, he says, distinguishings of spirits or discerning between spirits is probably a supernaturally enabled sense or feeling concerning the nature and source of the spirit in a particular situation or, or person. And you know, you just pause and think about this thing. We, we see maybe uh, a, a few examples of this type of thing in the New Testament. There are a couple times in the book of Acts, Peter first on one occasion, and then later Paul did a similar thing. But both Peter and Paul, two separate occasions, they looked at a different man. In both cases, the scripture calls them magicians, but they, they looked at these men who supposedly had some sort of power. They were doing some legitimate things, but both Peter and Paul discerned that it was a demonic power on both occasions. Or in Acts chapter 16, there was a, the, there was a slave girl. Uh, she had power, the Bible says, to tell people's fortunes, which may have meant that this slave girl could in some way tell the future to, to, to some people. We don't know what that looks like, but the Bible says she could tell people's fortunes. There was some sort of power and she didn't look all that bad for a while because she started following Paul and Silas around and she was saying repeatedly, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She just kept saying it over and over again. Sounded great, the things that she was saying, but Paul sensed that she was energized by a demon and Paul cast the demon out of her. So we don't know, but those are possible examples of what this distinguishing of spirits could be. And this distinguishing of spirits, this gift, could maybe work a number of different ways today. You know, someone might have what seems to be just a mental illness. It, it, it appears to be just psychological, emotional issues, but with this gift, you might just have this sense with this person that it's maybe also some type of demonic influence in this person's life. Now listen, we just need to be very careful with that type of stuff because lots of mental, mental illnesses, they are just psychological, they're emotional issues, they require medication, they, they require counseling, but it could also maybe at times be some sort of demonic influence in that person's life and this gift might help you just to sense that it's, there's something else maybe going on with this person 
Or maybe you go to certain places. Um, You may have heard before some Christians say, I just had this internal check that something was not right there. And you may go to a certain place or a certain home or a certain room. Maybe you go to some town or you just encounter some person off the street and this internal radar just kind of goes off, that that something is not quite right, possibly some sort of demonic influence there. Uh, Or my mother on one occasion when my sister was very little, my sister was in the other room watching a cartoon and my mother said that on this particular occasion she just had this internal check about this cartoon and and almost said just a sense to go in and check on her and my mother went in and found my young sister at the time on the floor kneeling in front of the tv imitating what they were doing in this cartoon her arms raised above her head and saying oh mighty isis and my mother was able to stop her and talk with her but just this internal check that something was not right, that there was potentially some sort of spiritual influence that was not good in this case. And we don't know, all of those are possible examples of this distinguishing of spirits, this this internal Holy Spirit ability to discern at times when there's some type of spiritual influence in a person or a situation, and you can then maybe distinguish whether that influence is good or evil, whether it's the Holy Spirit or it is a demonic spirit. And you just think about that thing operating, and it would be a very, very important gift for us. Sam Storm says this, He says, I can't think of another spiritual gift that is so desperately needed in the life of the church today. Consider the many instances when it would prove immensely helpful to know whether or not a sin or an addiction or the breakdown in a marriage or a display of what appears to be mental illness is the work of sinful choices or biological factors or emotional wounds from an abusive past or perhaps the influence of a demonic spirit or perhaps some combination of all of them. So again, cannot be um, hardcore sure as to what this spiritual gift is. Very possible it might operate um, like in that sort of sort of way. So let's just a little bit on these distinguishings of of spirits or discernment. And a second spiritual gift then that we'll, we'll think about here for a few minutes is the gift of tongues. Or more accurately, various kinds of languages. If you look at verse 10 again, Paul says, to another is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another is given various kinds of tongues or languages, as we'll see in just a second. And, and listen, as, as I said last week with the gift of prophecy, I'll leave most of what I say about tongues for a little bit later, because um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about uh, prophecy and tongues. So today I'll just kind of give a little bit of a a description and and make a few points. Just know that I will get back to this later, give a little more background, maybe a little more biblical support then uh, for what I say here today. And and listen, as as we just kind of wade into this thing with this gift of tongues or languages, uh, let me say this, 
you might be a cessationist here today. We've talked about this in, in weeks past. You might believe that certain gifts have ceased today. They, they ceased back in the first century when the apostles died. Most cessationists I know, I have many cessationist friends, they believe that this gift of tongues has ceased. It is no longer active today. If that is you, then listen, all the grace in the world to you. You, you have freedom to believe that. You have freedom to be here. You have freedom to be a member of this church. We love you. We're grateful for you. Just do want you to know that the elders here are not cessationists, but we are continuationists. We believe all the gifts in the Bible still continue today, including this gift of tongues. We do believe that the Spirit can and does still empower at times different believers to speak in various languages. It could be a rather consistent gift in your Christian life, operating frequently throughout your Christian life, or it might be more occasional. We don't know. In, in your Christian life, the Holy Spirit may be just empowering you once or twice to, to speak in, in a, another language. But the elders believe this gift still functions, and we just decide that we won't divide over this gift of, of tongues. So we're really grateful we rally around the cross. There's unity around the cross. This is more of a non-essential issue. It's not a, essential for your salvation. So there will be believers on both sides here, and there's freedom to be on both sides, but just know where the elders of this church do stand. So just thinking here for a minute about this gift of tongues, what is this thing exactly? And you know, you just even wade into the water of tongues and you're getting in trouble because man, we've seen so many abuses in our world with this gift. You just mention tongues in a congregation like this and and people begin to think about, uh, you're talking about snake handlers or something, you know, eyes rolling back in people's sockets, you're on the verge of a seizure and everybody all at once just babbling uncontrolled in in all these weird syllables, complete chaos. And and we would say, when you see something like that, that's probably not the gift of tongues. That probably is pure emotionalism, or maybe you need the distinguishings of spirits at that point to know what's Holy Spirit and what is demonic. So what is this gift? Well, for starters, that word tongues, it is a bit misleading. You know, we hear the word tongues, and we typically just think of this, this physical organ in, in our mouth, uh, but Paul is talking here about languages. The Greek word is glossa. It, it can refer to your tongue, the organ in your mouth, but glossa can also refer to languages, which is the sense here. And, and, and we know this sense, we just don't use it like this much. Think about when people would talk about your native tongue. Well, they're not talking about the tongue you were born with. They're talking about your birth language, your native language. And that's what, that's what they, the, in the first century, that's how it worked. You talked about tongue. It wasn't just the thing in your mouth. It was your language. So Paul's not talking here about the spirit just doing something with this organ in your mouth, just kind of some frenzied, uncontrollable movement of your tongue. No, Paul's talking here about the spirit empowering believers to speak in various languages. And Wayne Grudem says this. He says, the Greek word glossa 
translated tongue is used not only to mean the physical tongue in a person's mouth, but also to mean language. In the New Testament passages where speaking in tongues is discussed, the meaning languages is certainly in view. It is unfortunate, therefore, that English translations have continued to use the phrase speaking in tongues, which is an expression not otherwise used in ordinary English and which gives the impression of a strange experience, something completely foreign to ordinary human life. But if English translations were to use the expression speaking in languages, it would not seem nearly as strange and would give the reader a sense much closer to what first century Greek-speaking readers would have heard in the phrase when they read it in Acts or in 1 Corinthians. So, man, when we talk gift of tongues, please think gift of languages. Paul's speaking here of various languages the Spirit could empower believers to speak. What are these languages that the Spirit could empower believers to speak? Well, could be a number of things. The Spirit could empower a believer to speak a foreign human language that you could not previously speak. And we see that at Pentecost in Acts Chapter 2, all the believers there at Pentecost, they were suddenly empowered by the Spirit to speak these foreign human languages, the languages of the people who were there in Jerusalem at that time. And the people there in Jerusalem then, they heard, Acts 2.11 says, they heard in their own languages, in their own native tongue, the mighty works of God. They heard the disciples praising God in their own native tongues. And listen, could the Spirit do the same type of thing today? Could the Spirit empower a Christian to speak in a, in a foreign human language that that Christian did not know before? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is, or, or God is, is, is all-powerful. He can do anything. Absolutely. If he can make a donkey talk in the Old Testament then surely he could empower a Christian to speak in an unknown foreign language, a a language they did not know previously. And there are actually many reports where Christians in different settings around the world, they could suddenly and very supernaturally speak in a foreign human language that they couldn't previously speak. And somebody there then heard them speaking in their own language native tongue, praising God. And they were just blown away by the power of God, and they were saved. There are reports of that around the world. The speaker didn't know the language, but the people listening did, one or two or however many in the group. And listen, some Christians believe that then that since There in Acts 2, it was foreign human languages that were spoken. Some believers believe then that this gift of tongues must always be in a human language, unknown to the speaker, but known to others. But here in 1 Corinthians, we see something a little different. Here in 1 Corinthians, it is not that the language is just unknown to the speaker, but known to some hearers. No, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about languages that are unknown by both speakers and hearers. Languages that are unknown by anybody in that context. And once again, it could just be that it, it's foreign human languages being spoken that n- just no one understands, 
But it is also possible that Paul is referring here to some sort of non-human language that doesn't follow the patterns of any known human tongue. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, it's possible that Paul was just exaggerating there. If I speak with whatever tongue, you know, the greatest tongue on the planet, um, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He could have been exaggerating, but maybe not. Paul's clearly referring there to this gift of tongues, and it does seem he could be indicating there that it was some sort of angelic spiritual language. Could God do that? Could, could the Holy Spirit empower a believer to speak in some sort of spiritual, angelic language at some point? Absolutely. God is all-powerful. God could certainly do that. Now, whether or not that's the case, we don't know. It could. Or 1 Corinthians fourteen two, Paul says this. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And just catch the phrase. No one understands him. Uttering some sort of mysteries in the Spirit. And Paul says, no one understands him. No one in the church at the time understands him. And Paul says later, no unbeliever who enters understands him. So Paul doesn't seem to be indicating there that some people somewhere in the world would understand him. No, Paul seems to be indicating there that no one would understand this person speaking this language. He says, no one. And that's the reason that tongues must be interpreted in the church so people can understand. Now, it could be, again, that it's just a a foreign human language that no one in the room happens to understand. Uh, Maybe a human language is spoken on the other side of the world somewhere, but nobody in the world understands it, and so there needs to be an interpretation. But it could also maybe be some non-human, spiritual, angelic type of language that truly no one understands. And we just don't know. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, does it really matter all that much? Because the languages that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, no one understands them. No one in the room understands them, not the speaker or the hearer. So does it really matter what kind of language it is, whether it's an unknown human language or an unknown non-human language? Either way, it's an incomprehensible language which must be interpreted if it's spoken inside of the church. So don't know exactly what the languages are, but when it's spoken in church, it must be interpreted. We'll get to that. Well, What then is the content of these various languages that the Spirit might empower believers to speak at times? And this is where cessationists and continuationists would 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 separate a little bit. It's okay, we can love one another. Now, and I don't want to pigeonhole all cessationists. There's a variety of views. But most of the cessationists that I know who believe that the gift of tongues no longer functions, they would say that tongues, back in the first century, it was revelatory on the same level as Scripture. In the sense that before the Scriptures were complete, God revealed things to His people through this gift of tongues, God divinely 
communicating to his people through tongues important redemptive historical information, things that were on a par or on the same level as Scripture itself. So, the argument goes, once the books of the Bible were complete and the biblical canon was closed, well, God's people no longer needed that in-the-moment, revelatory, scripture-level type of stuff from God, and therefore the gift of tongues then ceased. And completely respect my cessationist friends and that argument. I personally, I just find very little biblical support for that argument, that tongues was scripture-level revelation from God to his people until the scriptures were complete. I just cannot find that in scripture. No, how does Paul describe this gift of languages in 1 Corinthians? Well, Paul consistently describes it here as a form of praise or as a form of prayer from us to God through the Holy Spirit. That is, I would argue as a continuation is that is one of the primary differences in 1 Corinthians 14 between this gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, which we looked at last week. Prophecy is something God reveals to us. Now, not scripture-level revelation, now that the canon is closed, we don't believe that, but the Spirit in this prophetic word would still reveal things to God's people, could be a word or a picture, a dream or a vision maybe, as we talked about last week, something from God revealed to us. Now, always in line with Scripture, always in submission to Scripture, but it's something from God to us. We would call that prophecy cessationists, as I mentioned last week, might call those impressions. But it's God doing something, revealing uh, things to us as his people. But tongues then... Paul says, goes the other way. It's praise or it's prayer in the Holy Spirit from us to God. Paul says repeatedly in chapter 14 things like this, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Paul says, for one who speaks in a tongue, notice the directions, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there's just this Godward direction with tongues, not to men, Paul says, but to God. Or later in chapter 14, Paul talks repeatedly about praying in tongues, praying, his his spirit praying before God. Or Paul talks about giving thanks in tongues. And again, both prayer and thanksgiving being Godward from man to God. Or near the end of chapter 14, Paul says that in a church setting like this, tongues must be interpreted so that people can understand. And Paul says, if there's no one there to interpret, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 28, he says, but if there's no one to interpret in a, in a meeting, a church gathering, let each of them, the people who think they have the gift of tongues, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. And again, just notice the Godward direction of tongues, speaking to God. And, and it, it, there in those verses, it's privately speaking in this language to yourself and to God. But again, just this Godward direction 
in, in tongues. So repeatedly with Paul, he speaks of tongues as, as a Holy Spirit form of prayer or of praise, giving thanks from man through the Spirit to God. Wayne Grudem says this, speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. Or Sam Storm says this, the primary purpose of tongue speech is addressed to God, whether it be in praise or prayer. Now, if you're a cessationist, obviously you're going to think tongues is something very different and that tongues has ceased. Totally respect you. This is what we as elders would say that tongues is. We think that is very, very biblical. And this prayer or praise, this gift of languages in the Spirit, uh, Paul says, can be very edifying. Can edify the entire church when someone interprets. And Paul says in chapter 14 that when someone interprets, the church is built up or edified because people now can understand the 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 prayer or the praise but tongues can also edify a believer personally even if you're just speaking alone to god as paul said with no one to interpret that's when you're speaking alone to god there's no interpretation he said you don't have the interpretation so you're speaking alone to yourself you're speaking to god and it is edifying 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul says this, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So this spiritual form of prayer or praise that edifies, it builds up the speaker even when there's not interpretation. And when there is interpretation, it can edify or build up the entire church because the church now understands what is being spoken there. And, and listen, Many Christians do find this gift to be very edifying, very, very strengthening. There's a woman, Jackie Pollinger, Christian woman. She has ministered now for almost 50 years as a missionary in Hong Kong. She was actually very young when she sensed a call to the mission field, and she got turned down by several missions agencies. And her pastor actually said, if you feel called to the mission field, maybe you should just get on a boat that's going a long way and and pray about when you should get off. And she did. And she literally took a long boat to China, I think is the way it goes. And she found herself in Hong Kong in one of the hardest places. And she's been there for 50 years now, ministering in what is called the walled city, working with runaways and prostitutes and heroin addicts. And Jackie says that once she leads a heroin addict to Christ, she will then pray fervently that God will give this new believer the gift of tongues because Jackie says she's found that those who do receive the gift find tremendous relief from their heroin withdrawal symptoms when they pray in tongues. She says there's a much higher uh, delivery rate from heroin addiction with those believers who would receive that gift of tongues. Or Sam Storms tells this story of a woman, very, very rational intellectual uh, type of woman, he said, in her, in her nature, who very suddenly received this gift. She later wrote a letter to Sam, went like this. She said, in June of this year, the Spirit put on my heart to enter an extended fast. On the fourth day, 
a really, really difficult day of battling against the physical and mental desire to eat while I was pouring my heart out to God, foreign and strange words welled up from deep within and came spilling out of my mouth. It was quite a few moments before it dawned on me that I was speaking in tongues. Over the next days and weeks of the fast, I was able to use this gift to battle against severe temptation. I doubt whether I would have had the physical, mental, and spiritual strength to complete the fast without it. I felt as though the Spirit of God within was interceding to the Father on my behalf, which is a reference to Romans 8, where Paul says the Spirit within us intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit somehow praying or interceding from within us. We don't know if he was talking about tongues there, but that's one thing the Spirit does, is intercede, Paul says, with groanings, that cannot be uttered. Can the Holy Spirit join with your spirit to pray through you, maybe in ways you wouldn't understand with your rational mind? Absolutely. God can do anything. And she, she finishes here, the gift remains with me. I feel most moved to use it during times of deep intercession or deep praise. And just pause for a second, because I think there's a mindset out there that if you would talk about speaking in tongues, you're a hillbilly. Uh, you know, you're a hillbilly, you're a snake handler, you're just plain weird, especially in very intellectual, rational places like the East Metro and the Twin Cities. Uh, and so let's just back up and think, can God potentially do something like this? We would say absolutely yes, God can do this. He can empower people to speak in tongues that they don't understand for his glory and for the common good of his church, whatever that might look like. If he can make a donkey speak, he can for sure do that. So it's just a little bit of the way the elders here would see this gift of tongues working. Uh, a prayer or a praise addressed to God through the Spirit in words or syllables not understood by the speaker unless the Spirit enables that believer or some other believer to interpret what was being spoken there. And, and something just to, to note here, because there's all kinds of abuses with tongues in, in especially the American church, I think, and now we're, we're um, uh, passing that around all over the world. Uh, one of the abuses is to say that this gift of tongues is, is uncontrollable. It's just, it's just some sort of frenzied uh, uh, speech that you just can't control. It just comes upon you and boom, it's this ecstatic speech and it, it, it just goes. That's not biblical. Paul says that in a gathered setting like this, if there is no one to interpret, what does he say? Then let the tongues speaker keep silent and pray only to himself and to God, which means that it can be controlled. I was preaching at the Union Gospel Mission. This was a, maybe a year or so ago, and there were a couple of people ministering with me that night. You may have seen this. Uh, a, a, right in the middle of the message, a man jumped up and started calling out, um, uncontrollably, it seemed, in a supposed word of tongues. And I asked him to stop. Not because... I don't believe in tongues. I do, but because the gift of tongues is not uncontrollable and because Paul says in chapter 14 that everything in a service like this, including tongues, should be done decently and in order. There is a biblical order for the use of tongues in a gathered setting. We'll talk more about that, but to act like it's uncontrollable 
that, that's not right. And I actually said to the gentleman when he stood up and did that, I said, please, please stop. There's, there's, there's a time for maybe exercising that, but the Holy Spirit does not interrupt himself. And if I am speaking in the Spirit, then you are not speaking in the Spirit uh, because the Spirit does not do those types of things. One final point I'll make about tongues is, and this is another abuse that's gone out there, not every believer has the gift of tongues. That's not biblical. Some would argue that if you truly have the Holy Spirit, if you're truly a Christian, well, the evidence of your Christianity, the evidence of the Spirit will be that you will speak in tongues. And if you don't, well, you might not be saved. It's just not biblical. Paul says here that to another or to some Christians is given various tongues. And Paul says at the end of chapter 12 here, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, do all prophesy. And the Greek there is crystal clear. His answer is no, all Christians do not speak in tongues. So that's just a little bit uh, on this gift of, of languages, the way the elders here would, would view it. We will not forbid uh, speaking in tongues here because that is a clear apostolic command. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So we won't forbid it, but we will aim to practice it biblically, and we will talk about that um, later on. So that's discernment or the distinguishings of spirits. That's a little bit on tongues. And finally, the last of the nine gifts that Paul mentions here in this passage, very briefly, is the interpretation of tongues. If you look again at the middle of verse 10, Paul says, to another, Christian is given various kinds of tongues, to another is given the interpretation of tongues. And this is now the ability to interpret a language that the Spirit might empower you or someone else to speak. It's now the Spirit interpreting or translating what was just said. Sam Storms says this. He says, the interpretation of tongues is the Spirit-empowered ability to translate a public utterance of tongues into the language of the congregation. So a spiritual ability, Holy Spirit ability, to translate a language the Spirit might empower somebody to speak, which is so important. Because Paul says emphatically in these chapters that any word of tongues spoken in a gathered setting, spoken in a church service like this, or spoken with other believers around, or spoken even in a life group maybe, it must be, must be interpreted so that people will know what is said. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 13. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret, which indicates, by the way, that you can apparently pray for additional spiritual gifts. You have the gift of tongues, Paul says. You feel the Spirit has given you a message. Well, great, but then pray, Paul says, that the Spirit will also then give you the gift of interpretation so that the entire church can understand. Just a little indication there, you can pray for other spiritual gifts, or if you don't receive the interpretation of a certain thing in, in tongues that you feel the Lord is directing you to speak, if you don't have the interpretation, then there needs to be someone else there that you know of who does have the gift of interpretation. 1 Corinthians uh, fourteen twenty seven again, Paul says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, 
And this is in a church setting. Let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And, and just pause there again, because Paul has now corrected another abuse that is in many, many churches. Many churches, modern churches, uh, with this gift of tongues, some churches will allow multiple people to pray out loud in apparent tongues all at the same time without any interpretation, and that is not biblical. It is not scriptural at all. Paul says, let there be two at the most three, and each in turn, or one at a time, and let someone interpret. And if there's no interpretation, let them keep silent in the church and pray only to himself and to God. That is a very clear apostolic command. So that's just a little bit on this gift of interpretation. We'll talk more about that as well when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. We've now made it through these nine uh, different spiritual gifts that Paul has laid out for us here in these chapters, or at least in this section. There are other spiritual gifts in the Bible. I would encourage you to look them up over this week or, or next week and, and think about them a little bit. But that's at least nine of the possible gifts that the Holy Spirit might empower in you. And as we conclude this, this entire section here, let me give you just a couple words of instruction or a couple words of, of application. We've learned some things now about some spiritual gifts. Now, what do we do with, with what we've learned? Let me recommend just three simple things. Number one, let me encourage you to pray. Let me just encourage you to pray that God would bless you with different spiritual gifts, whatever God would be pleased to give to you. Uh, scriptures say, we have not because we ask not. So can I encourage you to, to pray and ask God? You know, we want all of the manifestations of the Spirit that God would be pleased to give us here for the common good of this church. And Paul tells us several times in these chapters to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So pray, ask God to bless you with different gifts. Pray for particular spiritual gifts. I've told you before, almost every time I preach, I will ask the Lord to give me uh, the gift of prophecy in that moment when I'm preaching or to, to bless me with the utterance of wisdom or knowledge, to empower my speech when I stand up. So pray about the spiritual gifts. And man, here's the great news. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father, He loves to give good gifts to his children who ask. So we have not because we ask not, but if we ask, he loves to give good gifts to his children who ask. So ask him in prayer. Uh, pray would be number one. A second word of application here, pray and then use. Use whatever you then think the Holy Spirit might be doing in you, whatever gifts you feel the Holy Spirit might be empowering in, in you, can I just encourage you to step out in faith and start to use the things that you think he's maybe given to you? The spiritual gifts are, are, are probably kind of like a muscle. They, they get stronger the more you use them. 
So begin to try some things as you sense the Spirit's leading. You feel maybe that the Spirit has given you some sort of prophetic word for someone. Or my cessationist friends would call that an impression. The Lord has given you some sort of an impression for another person. Can I encourage you to step out in faith? And speak that to, to that person. Or maybe you sense that the, the Spirit is leading you to pray for someone. For, for healing, maybe. Then, then do it. Reach out and say, hey, can I pray for you? You know, we don't want to be a church that just sits back and does nothing controlled by fear. We do not want to sit back and be controlled by fear. So call some of these spiritual gifts whatever you want. But whatever you call them to be, whether you're a cessationist and you would call uh, it an impression or your continuation, you call it a prophecy or something like that, let's earnestly desire and let's begin to practice and to use what we feel the Lord has given us. We don't want to be controlled by fear. We want to move forward and step out in, in faith, a church that tries things. Listen, the gospel gives you freedom to try. The gospel gives you freedom to try. You're no longer controlled by fear. We will fail at times. That's one of the things with the spiritual gifts. You can step back and do nothing because you're afraid and then nothing looks messy. But as soon as you actually like, well, I might try to step out a little bit and use, well, God will start to do things, but it could also look messy. You might fail at times, but the gospel gives you freedom to fail. And to get up and try again, and to fail again, and to try again, and fail again. Your father just loves when you try. So step out in faith, and we want to applaud when people try here. We're not going to scorn you, or criticize you, or ridicule you. If you do something that, well, it's probably not biblical, we will just pull you aside. We won't stone you, okay? We will be gentle and kind, but let's try. You're encouraged to step out and try for the common good of this church. We want to be a church that errs on the side of trying than a church that errs on the side of fear and does nothing. So let's step out and try, and the Father is so pleased when we try. So pray and use. And the last thing I would say as far as a spiritual gift, give thanks. Give thanks for anything and everything that God might do through you because here's the thing, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. They're called gifts for a reason, because they're gifts sovereignly given to God's people through the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit wills. So do not boast if you have some gift. Do not look down on some other Christian. Give thanks. Give thanks for anything the Lord might do in and through you, because it's a gift of God's grace for you. All of the Christian life is grace. You are saved by grace. Christ took punishment for you, and it's grace, and you turn and, tr and trust in Christ, and you're saved. That's grace, but then all of the Christian life is grace, and any gift the Lord might give you is pure grace. So don't give that, or don't boast, let's give thanks, and may the Lord be pleased to bless our church with many, many, many wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we just bless you. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, people here might see them and view them. We thank you that your spirit is alive, that your spirit is active and, 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 and living in the church. We thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit who lives within us is the sovereign, omnipotent God of the universe who can do anything. 
And we trust, Father, that the Holy Spirit within us can lead us very intimately, very, very specifically. We trust, Father, that the Holy Spirit can, 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 can move upon us and, and urge us and nudge us and give us words for people and, and give us encouragement for people. The, the Holy Spirit can work miracles within this body or around the global church. The, the, the Holy Spirit, we believe, can give gifts of healings around the world in the global church. And we just celebrate these things Father, we do not want to be a church that just sits around and argues about wording. What do we call it? What do we call it? Father, help us not to divide like that. Father, can we just join together around this truth that you are the omnipotent, sovereign God of this universe and you have given us your spirit and this Holy Spirit can do all things as the Spirit wills. Father, give us faith to believe it Give us faith to look for the leading of the Spirit. Give us faith to be expectant when we come in here on Sunday mornings. May this not just be, for people here, a transformation of knowledge. I pray, Father, that all of the believers of this church would come in expectant on Sunday morning. This is the living God I'm coming to worship in and through Christ. He is here. Jesus, you promised wherever two or more believers gather together, you'd be there in their midst. So you're here. Father, cause us to be expectant. I just ask that you drive fear out of our midst. The fear of failing, or the fear of being wrong, or the fear of doing something in error. We just thank you, Father, that you're not strict like that. That you're gracious to your children. And like little children learning how to walk, when they fall down, the parents don't scold them for falling. The parents celebrate that they walked, that they took a step, and that's who you are good and generous and gracious Father who loves your children. So Father, help us to view you like that. Help us to view you as a loving God who works in and through us. And Father, give us faith to try and and to fail and to get up and try again. And just lead us, Father, over time to do things biblically in ways that would be decent and in order, in ways that would glorify you, in ways that would promote the love and the unity of the church here and the church around the globe. So we bless you and thank you now, Father, in the name of Jesus.